guys here at Hope this weekend. Our mission statement here, if you're visiting for the first time, is love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So basically, our mission statement is this. Our mission as a church is this. Love people, make disciples. Love people, make disciples. And if that, doesn't sound, if that sounds familiar, it's because it's not very original. In fact, we get our mission statement from something that Jesus said right before he departed earth and went back to heaven. He told his followers in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, I want you to get out there and I want you to make disciples throughout the entire world. That is what he's called us to do. That would include our home, our streets, our neighborhood. It would include the places where we work and play. It would include the campus where you go to school. It would include places you've never been, probably never will go, to the remotest parts to the end of the earth. It's the Great Commission. And it's the mission that God has put right at the heart of the church from the day that it was conceived. And then so last weekend, as part of our Hope Where You Are series, we began talking about what it would take for us as a church to reach our full kingdom potential so that we can accomplish the task, we can accomplish the mission that God has called us to, making disciples throughout the whole world, impacting the entire world. And we began by asking this question, what do we need to do as a church to position ourselves so God can use us greatly? See, we've been going through a part of this series where we were talking about what do we need to do to position ourselves as individuals so God can use us greatly. And now we're talking about what do we need to do as a church corporately to position ourselves so that God can use us greatly. And last weekend we saw that if we're going to reach our full kingdom potential as a church, it's not going to be because of things we can count. It's not because our attendance continues to grow. It's not because we're adding more and more programs here at the church. It's not because we have bigger facilities or more facilities or more campuses. If we are going to reach our full kingdom potential as a church, it's going to be because we are committed to loving one another as Jesus Christ has loved us. In fact, we saw that last week. This is what Jesus said to his disciples, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this, by this, the fact that we love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, our potential to be used greatly by God as a church hinges on our willingness to be committed to the principle of loving one another as Jesus Christ has loved us. That is what God is looking for in a church if he's going to use that church greatly. That is his number one criteria for greatness. And so last week we began to talk about what it would look like to actually love this way. And we said that there were 26 different one another's in the New Testament. And if you were to separate them, they fall basically into four categories or, or four keys that need to be present in us as a church if we're going to be able to love one another as Christ loved us. First of all, we said we had to accept one another. And then we have to forgive one another. And then we have to care for one another. And then we have to be able to submit to one another. And last weekend, if you were here, we talked about the first two. We talked about the importance of accepting one another and forgiving one another. And we looked at a passage, Romans chapter 15, verse 7, where Paul wrote, Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you. And I gave you a definition of what that kind of acceptance would look like if we accepted one another as Christ has accepted us. And we said that acceptance is the ability to receive another person without inner restrictions. And we said that those inner restrictions had to do with our prejudices. And we all have prejudices. Sometimes it's against people that are in a certain economic level. Sometimes it's against people with certain, certain skin colors or maybe from certain parts of the world. Sometimes it's against people who maybe have a different sexual preference. And it's like, there's no way I could even have a relationship with someone like that. 
By the way, as, as I talk about these prejudices, let me just mention this, that coming up on November the 13th, here at the Raleigh Auditorium between 1 and 3, uh, we're going to have our next uh, seminar, our workshop together on healing race relations. We have six police chiefs from surrounding cities that are going to be here. One of our own here at Hope is going to interview them, have a forum, and then there's going to be a Q&A time that's open to the audience. So that's coming up November 13th, 1 to 3, right here at the Raleigh Auditorium. You may want to check that out. But acceptance is the ability to receive another person without those inner restrictions, without the prejudices, or without outer requirements. In other words, not based on their performance. And so really what we're saying is this. When we accept someone, we're saying, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you're from, regardless of what you've done and what you may do in your life, I have room for you in my life. I am willing to receive you into my life. I am willing to accept you as Christ accepted me. So we talked about acceptance. And then we also learned from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, that we're to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And how has Christ forgiven us? Well, he's forgiven us of all our past sins. He's forgiven us in light of the things that we're involved in right now that we shouldn't be involved in. He forgave us in light of all the bad stuff that we're going to do in the future. And so if we're going to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, that means that we have to live in this constant state of forgiveness. We have to be willing to forgive each other no matter how bad we treat each other. We talked about that last week. And then I made a statement. I said, I said if you're mad at somebody at this church, go make it right. And I said, if you're mad at me, let's make it right. Well, some of you have been really, really busy this week making it right with me. And, uh, <laughs> but I had one situation in particular um, a tragedy, but a young lady who used to attend our church moved away. Uh, she passed away at the age of 32, unfortunate circumstances. And so I was meeting with a family this week. They, they've actually moved to California, but they're coming back here because they have some family here. And so they asked me over the Thanksgiving holiday, would I perform a memorial service for this young lady who used to go to our church a few years ago? And I said, I'd be happy to, to do that. And so I was meeting with the mother of the girl and her husband this week in my office. And he said, Pastor Mike, you won't remember me, but about 10 years ago, I stood at the top of the stairs in the atrium, and you met us, and you were excited that we were getting engaged, and I emailed you, and I asked you if you would do our wedding. And they said, we didn't hear anything from you. And they said, so we emailed you again and asked you, would you do our wedding? Again, we didn't hear anything from you. And I said, wow, that just sounds weird. That does not sound like me at all. And he says, well, I saved the emails if you want to see them. I'm like, okay, I, I believe you. I believe you, right? And he said, but we left the church, and we've been gone for 10 years. But through what I've experienced losing my wife, he says, someone invited, us to, invited me to the new Apex campus last week, and I heard your message on forgiveness. And he said, I just want you to know I forgive you. And I said, man, I am so, so sorry. I, we, I, I get all over my staff when things like that happen. I have no excuse. I'm sorry. And as he left, we hugged each other, and he says, I'll see you next week. See, remember what I said last week? Relationships aren't destroyed because we offend one another. We're going to offend each other. We shouldn't even set an unrealistic expectation that we're going to stop offending each other. Relationships are destroyed not because we offend one another. Relationships are re destroyed. Churches are destroyed because we refuse to forgive one another. So we've learned we have to forgive. We have to accept as God has forgiven us through Christ Jesus, as Christ has accepted us into his family. Now that brings us to the third key to loving one another. We have to care for one another. 
Paul wrote a letter to a church in Galatia. This is what it says. It's now in the Bible, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. This is what he says. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What did Paul mean when he wrote, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ? Well, understand, Paul is making a direct reference to the command that Jesus gave us back in John chapter 13, verse 34, when he says, a new command or a new law I give you, love one another. And if we're going to obey the command to love one another, Paul says part of this is going to include you have to be able and willing to carry one another's burdens. In other words, there's a direct relationship between the two. In fact, what he's saying is if you don't carry one another's burdens, if you don't care for one another, then you don't really love one another as Christ has loved you. Now, what does it actually mean to carry one another's burdens. Well, it's a picture of someone who is carrying a burden that is so heavy that it's getting ready to take them down. I mean, it is so weighty that they're getting ready to be crushed under the weight of this burden that they're carrying. But at the last minute, before they're crushed, somebody runs alongside of them, gets up under the burden, this is what the Greek word means, and you, you help them carry that burden. That's what it means to care for one another. That's what it means to help carry each other's Burden, And to be honest, on the surface, that sounds simple enough, but let me tell you why we have such a hard time with this principle. I think it's because when someone comes to us with a need, when someone comes to us with a burden, and I understand this, I'm like a need magnet, okay? When people see me under the portico, when people see me in town at Target, if they have a need, they come to me, and I understand, and that's my job, that's what I do, that's part of my job, part of my responsibility. But sometimes, just like you, as you hear the need, you think, how in the world can I possibly deal with this need? How can I possibly, it's so enormous, it's so complicated. You know, how, do I, how can I possibly do that? And so what happens is we go into guilt mode. Guilt mode sounds something like this. I ought to deal with this need. I ought to help this individual bear this burden. I just don't think I can. I don't think I have the knowledge. I don't think I have the resources to do it. So we don't do anything and then we go home and we feel guilty because we didn't help. And because we don't like feeling guilty, we tend to shy away from needy people. And we pray that God will actually send somebody else around who's more capable of dealing with their need than you are. Now, here's the challenge. In a church this size, we have people with incredible needs. And again, it's not that we don't want to help. Sometimes we just feel so inadequate. And the reason we feel so inadequate is often we are so inadequate. In fact, I've learned over the years there's usually no way that one individual can meet all the needs of another individual. Sometimes there's just not enough time. Maybe you don't have the money. After all, we have our own lives with our own needs. And because of that, often we do nothing. We shy away. We look the other way. And again, it's not that we don't care. It's just that sometimes the needs are so overwhelming. Sometimes, like, I don't even know where to start to meet this need. So here's the question. What are we supposed to do? Because the Bible clearly states that we're supposed to be involved with one another, carrying one another's burdens. Well, I think maybe the answer is that we take a team approach to dealing with the needs of the people as a part of our church family. I'll give you a little example. Maybe it's kind of silly, but... A couple of weeks ago, I told you that I was, I was sitting home on a Thursday night, and my heart just went crazy, and it felt like a, a trout flopping around in my chest, right? And so I have a friend who's a cardiologist, and I called him. I said, what's going on? He says, man, you need to get to the emergency room right now. I'll call and let them you know, know you're on your way. And 
So Laura and I jump in the car. She takes me to the emergency room, and because he had called, man, they took me right back in the room. And I mean, within 30 seconds, somebody's taking my blood pressure. Somebody's putting little sticky things all over me, giving me an EKG. Somebody's putting an IV in me. Somebody's drawing blood. Somebody's asking me all kinds of questions. Laura's on the phone with my life insurance agent, knowing how long it will take for her to get the money. I mean, all this is going on. You know what I'm saying? But my point is, it's kind of like a team approach, right? There's no way one person could do that. A lot of people were involved. That is a picture of the body of Christ. In other words, as a congregation, we have the ability to care for one another, but we were designed sometimes to do it as a team, and God understands that. See, that's why here on our staff, we have a care team. We have specific people on staff that are trained to deal with the needs in the communities. This is how we get to be involved. We show up on the weekends. We give. We pool our resources. We put them all together. We have accountants that oversee it. Then our team assesses the needs, and they're able to meet the needs. But it is a team approach where we all get involved. It's kind of like you ever got like a, stepped on a, a splinter or something, and you got it in the bottom of your foot? It takes a, it, the, the body has to go into action to get that, that, that thorn, that splinter out. You know, the brain has to begin to process. You can't just say, thumb, go get it. Thumbs are useless by themselves, right? Elbow, go get it. Elbow can't do it. I mean, the brain's got a process. Focus the eyes, lean the head, knee, pull that foot up, hand, go to work, and all of a sudden you get the thorn out. It, it, it's, a, it's a team approach. And to be honest with you, we've seen God do some amazing things when we, as a team, as the body of Christ, take on a need. A few weeks ago, we, 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 we shared with you that there were some needs in our local community. Houses that were falling down, many elderly people living in them, they needed to be, listen, it was going to cost thousands of dollars, incredible amounts of work. There's no way as individuals, most of us could handle that, deal with that. But you gave us about $70,000 as you walked out, and about 300 of you volunteered, and in just a couple of weeks, all of those needs plus more in our community were met. It was a team approach. When Hurricane Matthew came through Haiti, right over where our campus is in Port-au-Prince, we challenged you to give. You gave $136,000. We wired that money to Haiti where we had a church, a staff, a team in place. Other teams are going down, and, and, and it's making a difference in the community, a team approach. We asked you to bring goods for down east where, where the flooding was so bad, especially in the area of Kinston. And just last weekend, you brought in over eight tons of supplies that we've already shipped down to Kinston. More continues to come in. It is a team approach. My point is this. We have the ability. But not only do we have the ability, we also have the responsibility to care for one another. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. A church as big as hope. Part of the problem with caring for one another is we show up for church these days, and it's a lot like riding in an elevator. You ever notice people in an elevator? You got 20 people crammed into a, a box that was designed for 10. Everybody stares ahead, straight ahead. Nobody talks. You want to do something fun? Next time the door gets opens and the elevator's crowded, get in and don't turn around. Just look at them. <laughs> You'll freak them out. You'll freak them out, man. All right. But everybody's just staring straight ahead. And then you get to the floor. What happens? The door opens. Everybody gets out. What happens if you actually accidentally brush up against someone? Excuse me. Excuse me. For what? Getting off an elevator? You know? Living life? Touching someone? You know what? Churches become like an elevator. We rush into the parking lot. We get here at the last minute. We come flying into the auditorium to get a seat. 
But there's a few people who get here early just to get the end seats. And you know, you know exactly who I'm talking about, right? You don't care that there's one person on that end and one person on that end and nobody in the middle and nobody can get those end seats. And I don't know why. I don't know what you're so weird about. You know, is this the week they're going to let snakes out? We got to be able to get out of here fast, quick exit. What's going to happen, right? But everybody loves those end seats. And this is what happens. You come in, you need a seat. I love to watch it play out. There's the person in the seat like, don't touch me. I'm getting back in my seat as far as I can. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. And of course, you're walking by like this because you don't want to touch them, right? And then you got the challenge. You got to find a seat that no one is directly beside you because lo and behold, you may touch them. Or they may try to talk to you. And they may stump you with a question like, so what's your name? And you don't know what to do in a situation like that, right? Right? And you stare straight ahead while we sing. And you stare straight ahead while I talk. And then the minute I say amen, bam, you're gone, unless you left during my prayer. Some of you do that too, right? People. God never designed a church to be like an elevator. Our lives have to rub up against each other. See, that's why we have small groups. That's why we encourage you to serve on some of our ministry teams. It's so that we can connect, we can touch one another. Last week, you remember, some of you were here. I told you about Romans chapter 16 where Paul said, greet one another with a holy kiss. That was common practice in the first century when people came to church. It began on the cheek, moved to the forehead, back of the hand, the sheath that the scrolls were kept in. Till today, we have basically elevator church. And so I told you to hug each other. One service, I said, go ahead and kiss them if you want to. <laughs> right? Right? Some of you missed that. <laughs> some of you are at church because you got an extra hour of sleep last night. You are some godly people. It's so incredible. This is what I want us to do. Find somebody you don't know and hug them. Right now, just do it. Just find somebody. Let's just do it again. Let's just get you. Somebody you don't know, hug them. If you have to get up and move around. If you want to kiss them, kiss them. Avoid the lips. All right, good, 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 good. See some of you singles getting phone numbers. Good, good, it's good. Now let me ask you a question. Doesn't that seem a little bit more maybe the way God designed the church to be? I mean, seriously? Seriously? Now, this is what's going to be weird. I'm going to have some staff this week that are going to make appointments with me. And they'll say, Mike, you cannot do that anymore. <laughs> that makes people uncomfortable. Some of you get uncomfortable. Yeah, maybe wet yourself just a little bit, but it's okay. The ser <laughs> service isn't that long. Service isn't that long. We're going to let you out of here in a second. I've had my staff say, uh, we got to stop this greeting thing. It just weirds people out when we greet people. Are you kidding me? Did you guys watch the World Series the other night? Did you see the Cubs win? There are grown men who have never seen each other in their life crying and hugging each other. If they can do that for a baseball game, can we not love one another at church? I mean, do you not understand that some, for some people, th this is the only thing that keeps them going? You have no idea, nor do I, the loneliness and the hurt that bumps up against us weekend after weekend after weekend. You would be stunned if you had any idea what was really going on beneath the surface 
of those who are sitting around you right now. You would be stunned if you knew what was going on beneath the surface of some of those people that you just hugged and encouraged them this morning. But we don't take the time. We have to care for one another. We have to carry one another's burdens. We have to get involved in each other's life. It's just a part of the way that we love one another, the way that Christ loved us. Because, see, he looked at us in our sinful state, and he said, they're never going to be reconciled back to God. Their sins are never going to be forgiven unless somebody goes and carries their burdens. And it tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were yet sinners, and weren't even interested in having a relationship with him. He said, I'll take on that burden. See? And that brings us to the fourth key to loving one another. And we don't like this word. We have to submit to one another. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another. It literally means mutual submission. You're submitting to one another. This isn't you submitting to me. It's not wives submitting to their husbands. This is mutual submitting. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he tells us what it would look like if we submitted that way. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. If you have a New American Standard translation, it says this. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. That's what it means to submit to one another. It's mutual submission. In fact, this is what it means. It means that when you have a need and I have a need, I'm supposed to bend in your direction and you're supposed to bend in my direction. When you have a desire and I have a desire and our desires don't match up, they don't agree, I'm supposed to bend in your direction and you're supposed to bend in my direction. That is mutual submission. It reminds me a few years ago, Laura and I, someone gave us a, a gift, an opportunity. Uh, actually, they had purchased a cruise and, and they broke their foot and couldn't go because they had to have surgery, so they gave it to Laura and I. So we went and we were on this ship and, and when we came to the dining uh, room the first night, uh, it, it, the crew was from the Philippines and, and the, the captain and, and the first, the, the lieutenants and all, they were standing there in their dress whites. And they, I mean, they just look so sharp. And as we walk up, they bow to us. So I bow back, and they bow, and we smile, and we go eat. The next night, they're standing there again. They see me, they bow, I bow, they bow, I bow. <laughs> they bow, I bow. And I just kept doing this. Finally, Laura left and got a date and went to her own table, but I'm just like, let's just see how long this goes, right? And every night, they try not to because they're professionals, but every night when they saw me walking in, you see the mouth go up just a little bit. Here we go. We're just, I mean, we're just, we're just making it happen every night, right? That's what it means. Literally, it means this. You go first. No, no, no. You go first. No, you go first. No, no, no. You go first, right? Now, let's be honest. This goes against our human nature, doesn't it? What's our human nature say? Man, you live that way, people will walk all over you. You live that way, you'll never get anywhere in life. Human nature says stuff like this. It's got to be fair. It's got to be just. It's got to be equal. And most of the time, it has to be about me. Want some church examples? This is my seat. You want this seat? Get here earlier. I can't tell you, especially before we opened the Apex campus and we got a little room around here so we can grow, right? 
We used to say, could you guys move together? Wouldn't move. I used to think that amazes me because I go to a movie theater, you know, like a 12-year-old comes and says, can everybody get up and move together? You know what everybody does in a movie theater? Church, uh-uh, no way. Uh-uh, I got here early to get this seat. I ain't moving, right? right. I want to park where I want to park. See, we have a off-site parking in many of our campuses because we want, if you're new, we want you to park on-site so you get used to it and all. And so we park off-site and we shuttle in. And, but I'll see people because I stand out under the portico. You guys think I'm greeting people. I'm, I'm actually seeing who's been here a long time and they're still parking on-site, right? And I saw a couple one day and I said, I can't believe you guys are still parking on-site. And they said, you know what, we, you'll never see us ride a shuttle. Hmm, about me. I want to park where I want to park, right? You say, well, that's not my problem. Well... I want to sing the songs I like to sing. Still haven't got you? I, I want the music level to be at the level of volume that I like. So, this is my room. This is my ministry counter. This is my space. Kind of like those seagulls and finding Nemo. My, 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 my. You ever seen it? My, 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 right? You know what I think? I think God shows up every weekend and he just watches us. And he's just looking for those situations, those interactions where our needs and our desires bump up against each other. And he's wondering, okay, I wonder, what are they going to do? How are they going to handle it? Are they going to demand their rights? Are they going to demand their way? Are they going to demand fairness, equality, or are they going to bend, are they going to submit to one another? Are they going to put the needs of the other person ahead of their own needs? See, understand. That's what God's looking for. That's how he designed it. It was designed by God to be mutual submission. And some of you A-types are thinking right now, if I have to submit to everybody else, I will never get anything done. You first? Are you kidding me, Mike? Really? Everybody comes before me? Really? And Jesus is like, yep. Everybody comes before you just like everybody came before me. You say, now, Mike, why, really, of all the things you could be teaching, why is this so important? Well, it's important because that's our message to the world. You got to understand, our message to the world is, is a message of love and acceptance and grace and forgiveness. It's a message of others first. And this is important because, see, if we can't model this among ourselves, why would anybody out there ever want to be a part of our church? And if we can't model this among ourselves, and if we can't live this out among ourselves, why would God ever bless us? And so understand, every time our needs bump up against the needs of someone else, every time there's a conflict, it's an opportunity for us to show God what kind of church we really are. It's an opportunity for us to say, God, what's really more important than me having my way is us as a church having your presence. God, what's really more important than me always having it the way I like it is us having your presence. Because God, there's too much at stake for me to pout. There's too much at stake for me to withdraw. There's too much at stake for me to be angry just because Something doesn't go my way. So I'm going to bend. I'm going to submit, God. I'm going to take the high road. 
because I just want your blessing. That's what's important. Now, that's tough. But I want you to understand that's what it means to love each other. And that's the kind of church God's looking for. And that's the kind of church I want to work at. And I think it's the kind of church that you want to belong to. And now you understand why I said last week this has a lot more to do with you than it does with me. Because, see, we can have great music, and we do. And I can preach decent messages, at least in theory. But understand this. If we are not loving each other, God isn't going to show up. And if we're not loving each other, God isn't going to trust us with new believers and hurting believers and damaged believers. But more importantly, in the process of us not loving each other, God stops showing up. And everything can look the same and all the great programs can continue and we can sing and I can teach. But I'm telling you, God won't be in it. And I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I've been there, I've done that. You don't want to be a part of a church like that. And you know why this is so important to me? See, my kids are growing now, but you know what? I got grandkids. I want my grandkids. I want your kids and your grandkids. I want our lost friends and neighbors. I want our coworkers, classmates. I, I want them to be able to show up at Hope Community Church and experience the real thing. Not just a church service, not just a bunch of people going through religious motions. I want them to be able to show up here and experience the presence and the power of God. Now, I want to just wrap this up by showing you a really scary passage from Revelation chapter 2. It would have been more appropriate last week for Halloween, but it's okay. This is a pretty scary passage. Revelation chapter 2, this is a letter or a message from God to the church at Ephesus. Once upon a time, it had been a great church. In fact, I believe that if you moved into the city of Ephesus in the first century and you were looking for a church, you went to Ephesus Community Church. And, and, and I imagine it was a lot like hope. I would imagine that, that uh, it was exciting. There's a lot of caring for one another going on, a passion for excellence, probably very generous. But it's interesting, along the way, something happened. And so this is what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. God's writing to them. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. In other words, you have a very low tolerance for sin. I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. In other words, you're looking for authentic godly leadership. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Now, if you were just to read that, you would think, wow, what a church, great leadership. They don't put up with sin. They don't tolerate disobedience. Sounds to me like they're doing great. God says, mm, they're not doing all that great. They think they're doing great, but they're not doing all that great. Why? Because they've forgotten their first love. Sure, the buildings are nicer, more campuses than they used to have. Programs are better than ever. But God says, problem is they don't love me and they don't love each other the way they used to. And then he says this in verse five, repent. I've told you before, the Greek word means do a 180. So whatever you're doing when, when you repent, you turn and go the opposite direction. Repent and do the things you did at first. In other words, get back to the basics. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, if you don't get back to the basics, 
I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, a lampstand here is a symbol of God's presence. So God says to this church, you're doing a lot of great stuff. I mean, you are really, really busy. You have incredible programs. You don't tolerate evil. You have great leadership. But somewhere in the midst of all of your activity, somewhere in the midst of all of your busyness, you departed from what's number one. You got away from loving me and loving people. And if you don't get back to loving me and if you don't get back to loving people, if you don't get back to loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself, then I'm gonna have to remove my blessing and my presence from your church. Now let me just say something. This isn't, this isn't a warning. Because I have never in my life been associated with a group of people like the people of Hope. People I know not only love God, but how you respond, you love one another. You say, well, Mike, then what, what's the reason for this message? The reason for the message is this. We can't ever lose that. We can't ever lose that. Our constant focus has to be on accepting one another and forgiving one another and caring for one another and submitting to one another. In other words, we've got to love one another. And the Bible clearly teaches that if we'll just do these things, God is free to show up here and he's free to pour out his blessings on this place. And see, we'll get to be a part of what God is up to. And I know at the end of the day, that's what you want. And I know that's what I want. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you allow us to be a part of your mission of making disciples. But God, if we, as we've said so many times in our messages, you, you can't influence anyone who doesn't feel loved and accepted by you. So help us to get to that point. And Father, we're, we're living in kind of some dark days for our country. I mean, there was a time when the whole world looked to us. There was a time when the whole world wanted to be like us. There was a time when we were that light on a hill. But Father, it kind of seems that maybe the light's gotten dim. But God, you, 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 never, you never designed a political system to provide light for the world. You called us, your followers, your disciples. You told us to let our light so shine before men that they would see our good deeds and then not give credit to us, but give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Father, now more than ever, we need to let our light shine. Father, now more than ever, we need to be a congregation, a body of people that loves one another in such a way that the world looks at us and says, I don't understand it and I can't even put my finger on what's different, but I like it and I wanna hear more and I wanna know more. God, remind us that a light on a hill is a light that can be seen, that provides safety and security. And Father, help us to be that light. Father, thank you for all you've given us here at Hope.
Thank you for five campuses. Thank you for people. Thank you for ministries and programs. God, we don't take that for granted. But Father, thank you more than anything for your blessing. Because God, I look around at other churches that sometimes are struggling and barely making it. And God, there's no way, there's no way that I can explain to people why what has happened here at Hope Community Church other than you just looked at us and said, wow, they love one another. I'm gonna use that place. Father, I realize just as we read in Revelation chapter two, you can, you can snatch our blessing off of us anytime you want to, but you've chosen to bless us. We thank you for that. Because of that, Father, as we love one another and as we love you, we will give you the glory and the credit for what you're gonna do. In your name we pray, amen.